0: Well, I'm glad we were able to have our children come up. That's actually going to become a regular thing. We wanted to start it on Advent, but uh, that's going to be the way we dismiss children from now on. So you know, even past Advent, we're going to have like a little children's moment up front before they go down for junior church uh, because I love seeing them up front. I love having them up front um, and them being a part of our service. So. Uh, we don't just cast them off to get rid of them. We we want them to be a part of everything God's doing here, and a lot of what He does will be through them. So, uh, we're excited for that. Well, I hope you did have a good time with uh, whatever your Thanksgiving celebrations were. Uh, but I have a question that may or may not be related to uh, how uh, you're, you're gathering this past week. Have you ever met someone who was just difficult? to love hopefully that uh, question doesn't relate very very much to your gathering this last week although if you gathered with family uh, there's a chance that might be true Uh, but uh, I just want to ask that question I want us to have someone in our frame of reference this morning as we talk through uh, first John someone who was just difficult to love Sometimes when we read passages that talk about showing love to others, we read, you know, love one another, show love to your neighbors, Uh, we can think that the Bible is only talking about people who reciprocate that love and are easy to love. Like When I read a passage about loving other people, I think about the people that I enjoy loving because they make it easy, because they reciprocate it, because they say thank you, And those people are fun to love and to care for and to be loving toward. But if that's what the Bible is always talking about, there wouldn't be anything remarkable or special about that, would there? Even those who hate God can love those who love them. It's a natural thing if you want to love people who reciprocate that love. What John has been talking about since the beginning of his letter is loving people who don't Love us back. People who don't reciprocate it the way that we wish they would or to the level, the degree to which we think or we feel we're uh, pouring out love. Loving people who are difficult to love, who after years and years and years still are difficult to love. People who have hurt us and made us not want to love them because loving them would require us to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit and man that's difficult we played a video a couple of weeks ago uh, from someone who had experienced significant uh, hardship and oppression uh, as a Jewish person as a jewish woman she had seen family members die because of the oppression that took place and then she came face to face with one of her oppressors man I don't, I don't think any of us have a story quite that profound and yet she i love how she communicated it I, I couldn't i couldn't love him i just couldn't do it but she didn't have a choice it was god in her compelled her to love and gave her not didn't just compel her but gave her the power to communicate love to this person and i think so often we can look at people in this life people who have hurt us people who have offended us people that just are plain difficult to love and we can think i get a pass with that person that's not who the Bible's talking about because the bible doesn't understand what that person's done they don't understand how difficult that person is. They don't understand how guilty that person is. Well, let's see what John has to say about this as we continue in 1 John chapter 4. Uh, last week we covered verses 1 to 6. Uh, Brother Joel brought that, and I really very much enjoyed what he had to say there about testing the spirits and things like that. But let's open up to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Can someone who doesn't know Jesus love their spouse? Okay, I just want us to get a baseline here this morning, because I've actually heard Christians say, Well, no, 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 they think it's love, but it's not. Uh, they can love. People who don't know Jesus can love. Can they love their kids? Yes. People who don't know Jesus can love their kids. So obviously what John is talking about here is a different kind of love. If you're familiar, uh, which I'm guessing most of us are not fluent in Greek, uh, if you were to read the New Testament in Greek, uh, and just so you know, I don't know Greek. I'm not trying to say I'm smart or anything. I don't want to lie to you. Uh, But... If you were to read it, th- we translate many words to just our word love. And so they have these different words that communicate a different kind of love. And so what John is talking about here, and this isn't the first time that John uses this word. Uh, many people believe he also wrote the Gospel of John. He uses the word there, but this is a unique word he uses. What John is talking about here is a love which is only available to those who have access to the love of God. That's the kind of love John is talking about. The love that God loves us with is an unconditional love. And I've said this before, but for me, it was, it was kind of profound. I had heard before this idea that if you were the only one that would ever accept Jesus, God would have died on the cross. And I, and I heard someone, and I agree with this. He said, that's, not, that's, that's partially true, but it's actually kind of bad theology. He said, the truest form of that is that if nobody ever received him as savior he still would have died on the cross because his love is unconditional it wasn't done under the condition that people would accept him as savior his love compelled him to the cross regardless of our response and that's the way we are to love others. We are to love them because we're compelled because of who we are, really, who Jesus is inside of us, and it has nothing to do with their response. I've had the conversation many times with believers and with myself at times, and you love somebody and they kind of kick it back in your face or they treat you, They still continue to treat you poorly. And I've heard people say, well, they, they never appreciate it, so why should I do it? Well, because of Jesus, that's why because the love that you are to love people with is not your own. If I were to, if I always sought to love people with my love, it would fail miserably. And it does fail miserably often. I'm often reminded i am to not give my love to other people but jesus love because his love is perfect his love is unconditional it doesn't require anything from the other person or from whoever i'm loving it requires nothing back it doesn't even ask for anything back it invites that's what god's love does when god died on the cross he didn't say okay now All you dirty, rotten sinners, you have to receive me as Savior. You don't have a choice. That's not what he said. He invited us into that love to experience that love and to share that love. And that's how we're to love others, with that same unconditional love. And I promise you, outside of Jesus, nobody has access to unconditional love. You might feel that way as a parent, but man, you must not have been a parent very long. I have a boy, and I love that boy, but it's not unconditional, and there are some times I think about it, uh, but to be real, uh, there are, no matter what your relationship is to somebody in life, there is something they could do that could change in some way the way you love them, whether it's lessen it to a degree, make you stop loving them altogether, or it just changes it. There is literally nothing you can do. That changes the way God loves you. Nothing. Just because you received him as Savior, he didn't say, oh, great, here's, I got love premium for you now. Here you go. You're on the love platinum package. That's not how it goes. Jesus loved you the same before you knew him and after you knew him. You experience his love differently before you know him and after you, you know him, but his love wasn't changed in that. You can't do anything to make him love you more. You can't do anything to make him love you less. If we are able to love those around us with the love that we receive from God, it is evidence that we know God and that we have been born of God. People that have access to the love of God and are able to live that out, that's one of the clear indications. That person knows Jesus. Look at how they love. That's not them. They don't have access to that love if not John says in verse 8 anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love John has come at this every conceivable way already in 1st John and he'll go at it some more just in what we're going to talk about today But he talks about this time after time after time. If you don't love, you don't know God. He's saying if you can't love people who are difficult to love, then you don't know Jesus. Because he loved you when you didn't offer him anything. When you hated him, he loved us. And we are to reciprocate that love to other people. If we're not able to love others with the love of God, it is evidence that we do not know him. And we have not been born of him. Because those who have been born of God have access to that love. And it's not even that you have access to it. You feel compelled to love others with that love. 1 John 4.9 In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is what we're celebrating in about a month. Christmas. We celebrate that God came down to earth, that God came incarnate. He came in the flesh. This was the greatest display of love the world has ever seen. Even the greatest display of love God showed us. There are so many things that, that demonstrate the love of God. Uh, there are so many, I mean, I, I, I love sciencey stuff. I love uh, looking out into space and just appreciating the, the majesty and the grandeur and the beauty of God. Art does that. Uh, so many different different avenues show the love of God and show how much he cares for us, but nothing more so than when he put on flesh. When he humbled himself the god of all creation that he would become the creation there is no greater demonstration of love known to man and he did it always with the intention of taking our sin on himself it's what makes it so beautiful but we could never fathom this side of heaven we we have no frame of reference to grasp what it cost him to put on flesh what it it meant that the God who created everything would become his creation. That was love displayed. God did that so we could live through him. He didn't do it because he had nothing better to do, because he was bored, or because we were just so pitiful. He did it because he loved us, and he gave us access now to live through him. Not so we could get a get out of hell free card and then live our lives for ourselves. Those, there, are, there will be many people who stand before Jesus after they die who think they prayed a prayer and then they live the rest of their life for themselves. They, gave, they threw God some scraps here and there, but mainly they live their life for themselves and they'll stand before Jesus and he'll, just, he'll have to tell them, I, I never knew you. I know you prayed a prayer. I know you went to church and you even went to church more than most people. But I never knew you. I never lived through you. You never had the Holy Spirit in you and you always thought it was no big deal that when they talked about, when you read about how the Holy Spirit should be this, this cornerstone part of your life and everything you do should be lived through him, you always just blew it off because it didn't matter. But that's why God came so that we could live through him verse 10 in this is love not that we have loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins we were each pursued by god i mean there's so much in just first john chapter four that should speak to our identity too often we look to the world, we look to our own accomplishments, we look to our degrees, we look to our children, we look to our jobs in order to g- gain our identity. It's one of the things I pray over both my kids every single day is that they don't look to this world, to their own accomplishments, to our own, their own family for their identity. I don't want my kids growing up thinking, oh, because my dad's a pastor, I'm automatically in. That's not how it works. I'm automatically holy. That's not the way it works. And that's true for all of us. It doesn't matter your job, your status, your bank account, your family. None of it matters in light of the holiness of God. We gain so much of our identity if we can just look into Scripture and see who we are. We were pursued by the God of creation. He loved us, he pursued us, and he found us. What a glorious story of the pursuit of love. Now, you might be looking at this verse like most of us, if we're honest, and say, I have no idea what propitiation means. I get, a, get an idea from the context, but just want to break it down for a second. The, the word propitiation there, it means that Jesus died to appease the wrath of God. His wrath needed to be appeased. It needed to fall on someone. We all deserve that. When we died, We would have, not for Jesus, we would have died, and his wrath would have been on us for all eternity. We deserve that. So Jesus stepped in, took all of his wrath upon himself, and he died so that the wrath did not need to be appeased by us. So that's what that word means. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It seems like John's almost getting a little repetitive here, huh? He keeps talking about loving one another. Why do you think that John is repeating this and making such a strong argument for why believers should love one another? I mean, it's not like the church has ever struggled throughout history to love each other, right? We've always done this so well, so profoundly that the, the world has always looked in and just wanted to be a part of this, huh? We've had to to lock our doors right at 10.30 so that people didn't storm through and crowd the place, right? Because honestly, if we lived out the unconditional love by the power of the Holy Spirit to those around us, there wouldn't be an empty seat in any church ever. Because people want to be a part of that. People want to experience that love whether they realize it or not, whether willing to admit it or not, but too often what they've experienced is judgment and hypocrisy and other negative things from the church because we get comfortable and we pat ourselves on the back and we think we're doing a great job even though we're not communicating the love of God to those around us. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It's through the process of dying to ourselves and loving one another, we learn to abide in God. See, to love others, there needs to be a death of the love to self. And man, if you've been a Christian for a while, you realize that love for ourself is strong and it just refuses to die. It's so often a battle to love others despite our love for self. And so it's a constant dying to this, I want to be loved. I want things that benefit me. I want to be served. And I want to love others in a way that, that serves me back. And if they're not going to do that, then I want nothing to do with it. His love is able to be perfected in us as we learn to love those who are difficult to love. His love isn't perfected when we love people that are easy to love and that reciprocate that. that how does that, that doesn't sharpen us at all. I mean, can you imagine if, if you played a sport and your practice was sitting there and watching uh, a game on the television, How great do you think you would be at that sport if that's what your practice was? It's not. Practice for a sport, usually they're pushing you. Kind of the idea in practice is you get pushed harder than you're gonna get pushed in a game so that when game day comes, you are more than prepared for the game. We acknowledge that in physical training. People that train for uh, uh, even a 5K, if all you ever run is 3.2 miles, you're not going to be as good as if you learn to run a little bit further. You learn to have a little bit more energy than you needed, and you learn to push yourself for that. Well, that's the same in, in the perfecting of love in us. If all we ever do is love people who are easy and comfortable, we shouldn't be caught off guard when we find it difficult to love people and nearly impossible to love those who are difficult to love. I've heard people say, you don't have to love people who don't love you back i've heard that often from people who profess to be believers to say no no no, no. if someone's hurt you you have no responsibility to love them and they, they they mean it and that makes perfect sense for somebody who doesn't know jesus to the world, that makes absolute perfect sense. Yeah, if they're a toxic person, if they've hurt you, if, they don't, if they're not going to love you back, if you're not going to get anything out of it, then don't do it. That makes perfect sense for people who don't know Jesus. But if you claim to be a Christian and you think that you only have to love people who love you back, you've seriously misunderstood the gospel because that is not at all what the gospel was or is. The gospel was a God who is love, pursuing those who are hate, who are sin, who offer him nothing, who even after he communicated his love and even after we accepted his love and became believers, we still choose sin often. We still choose not him and he still loves us. And we will continue to do that until the day we die. We will continue to struggle and battle with things that are lesser than, with, with love of the world, which doesn't even compare to the love of God. But because it's momentary, because we enjoy it in the moment, we choose it. And yet God still loves us. Now I get why for some of us, if you know my past, I have a, a pretty abusive past. I've been abused by uh, others in my life, and man, I had more than enough reason to hate I could sit and tell you for hours all the reasons I have. uh, Part of my story is I used to plan the murder of my own dad because I was so sick of it, and I wanted to end it. And then I met Jesus. And man, I did not enjoy that for a while because then this other thing began to war with me, and I began to feel this weight when I would, I used to enjoy planning it. I used to enjoy thinking about how I could get away with it. And then Jesus messed it all up. He made it no more fun. And then it happened with other people in my life. And I'm not saying, like, there's nothing to pat myself on the back for because if I still wanted to do it, I still wanted to plan those things. I still wanted to hate people. But it's the Spirit of God that doesn't allow it anymore. I get that people have hurt us and people have wronged us. And you prob- some of us have been hurt far more than I've ever been hurt. Some of you probably have stories that maybe no one else even knows about it the way that you've been abused and you've been hurt. But there's no footnote here. There's not a little asterisk next to loving one another that says, unless this circumstance. Now, it doesn't mean that we invite abusive relationships back. It doesn't mean we allow toxic people to continue to hurt us. But we love people because he loved us. And if you need a book, there's a book called Boundaries. I would recommend it to anybody who has trouble, who's, who's struggling with this, how do I love somebody but also not allow them to hurt me and, and create problems. It's a great book for that. I would recommend you pick it up because what I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, well, if you love somebody, then you keep letting them hurt you over and over and over and over and over again. That's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible's talking about love. It's talking about unconditional love, that we communicate that, that we express it, that we live it out without the hope or the expectation of reciprocation. God loved us while we hated him and lived in opposition to him, when we were his enemies and were to love others in the same way. Do we really think that what John is talking about here Is about loving people who are easy to love. Those who just love to reciprocate it. How can we possibly love people who are extremely difficult to love, who have hurt us in ways that make it impossible to love them? 1 John 4, 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. That's how. It is the Holy Spirit alive in us that gives us the ability to love those we are not able to love. Who no matter how hard you try, no matter how uh, many actions, no matter how long you fake it, you just can't love them. It's the Spirit that allows us to do that. That gives us the power to love people who are just unlovable if you continue to find it impossible to love someone who is difficult to love, there's a really good chance you don't actually know Jesus. Or you're simply not leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're still, even as a believer who has access to the love of God, still trying to love others with your love. And you're finding it fail time and time and time again. And the Holy Spirit's just inviting you, hey, I have, I have exactly what you need. If you would just lean into me, man, you're gonna be able to love these people. You're gonna find it impossible not to love them. And it's gonna be this weird thing where you want to hate them and you find yourself loving them. It's crazy how that happens. In my opinion, one of the first steps is begin to pray for that person. Begin to try to see that person the way that God sees them. Ask the Holy Spirit to let you use his eyes to view that person because guess what? God loves that person that, that you want to hate with all your being. He loves them as much as he loves you. And it, it, it's not fun. Jonah, in the Bible, he didn't like this aspect of God, but he's just as willing to forgive them of their sin as he is you of your sin. And that's a beautiful thing. Because the reality is, for any of us, there's probably somebody at some point who felt that way about us well god you can't forgive them look how messed up they are look how they've hurt me and yet god loved us even against somebody else's wishes verse 14 and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world john here you might not be catching it but he's reiterating his authority to speak on this subject. He's saying, Man, I'm, not, I'm not saying this because I heard, I heard this good story. I saw him. I have seen this God that I testify about. He has seen and therefore testifies that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. This is, to me, one of the greatest proofs that Jesus is who he said he is because you have these guys who were relatively un, unremarkable to begin with Something happens. And if these guys who spent time with Jesus, and honestly, if you spent three days in the woods with me, you would know pretty quickly I'm not as great as I think I am, or you might have thought I was. So uh, it wouldn't take very long, trust me. A couple bad circumstances, a couple things happened that you know, didn't go the way I expected them to, and you'll realize I am not Jesus. But these guys spent years with him. They were in some tough places with him. They saw him do incredible things. And, and to me, it's one of the greatest testimonies that Jesus was who he said he was because these guys all went and died for him. If they were making this stuff up, I'd, I'd, I'd like the prank. And I've done some pretty elaborate pranks. But I wouldn't be willing to die for one of my pranks. That these guys all, but one of them, go to their death for him. To me, says something about him was different, was unique. He must have been God. And here's John saying, man, I saw him. And it only made me believe it more that he is the Savior of the world. Verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in god john is repeating again what he said in verse two of this same chapter we covered that last week with joel he was talking about how you know if someone can't confess that jesus is the son of god or they want to teach them something else that's not from jesus because it's right here in the word of god so that person doesn't know him those who confess jesus as the son of god god abides in those individuals anyone who claims otherwise just simply doesn't know god verse 16 so we have come to know and to believe the love that god has for us god is love and whoever abides in love abides in god and god in abides in him do we abide in love if you look back on your last week all through thanksgiving those individuals maybe that were really difficult to love would those who were around you acknowledge that everything you did was the fruit of love? Every word, every action, every word said behind someone's back, that it was all fruits of love. Because when we abide in love, the fruit that we produce is love. All of the fruit comes from love because it's what we abide in i don't know about you but some stuff in my last week would not communicate the fruit of love so i got some work i need to do some more abiding i need to focus more attention on abiding because it's not my relatives fault that i acted that way we like to say that and we sometimes maybe even believe it well they made me that's impossible we chose to act that way That fruit came because we weren't abiding in love, not because they weren't abiding in love. They have no change on the fruit I produce. Only I and what I abide in can change what fruit I produce. Verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. By abiding in love love is perfected in us if you frequently give yourself excuses to not love people because they are difficult because they're annoying because they just don't listen because they've hurt you in the past or for any other reason, if you, f- if you find, even in our time together this morning, maybe someone else has, has come up in your mind, uh, the Lord has brought someone into mind, and you've already created an excuse of why that person doesn't fit into the category of people we are supposed to love, don't be surprised when you find it difficult to love people. Love isn't being perfected in you. It's being enjoyed by you, but avoided by you in the giving out aspect. If we come up with reasons not to give out the love of God, even though we have received it, we shouldn't be surprised when we find it difficult to even love those around us who are easy to love. Because we'll come up with excuses not to do that as well in any given circumstances. One of the things I, I, I talk about when I do any kind of pre-marriage counseling with someone, if I want to marry them, I make it very clear. There will be times where you don't want to love. And the vow we make when we get married is that I will love this person regardless of the way they treat me. That's a tough ask. That's a big commitment. And most people don't realize that's what you're actually committing to. It means regardless of how they respond, regardless of how they reciprocate, regardless of their actions toward me, a vow, a commitment, and that's what marriage is. It's a covenant to God about the other person. We are making a covenant to do this. It's not a contract. It doesn't say, well, as long as they keep up their end, I'll do my end. That's not the way it works. When we love God, it's the same way with others. That we love them, not because of how they respond, not because of what we get from it, not because uh, of anything else. And we don't have to stop loving them if they stop loving us. It's not a contract. It's a commandment. Love people. Love God. Love our neighbors. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We don't love others because we have to. If you're thinking that God is going to punish you or send you to hell for not loving others, then you don't understand the love of God, John is saying. Because he says, in perfect love, there's no fear. We don't feel compelled to love others because of fear. Because, oh, well, if I don't learn to love that person, I guess I'm going to hell. That's not perfect love. Perfect love says, I I want to. Even though I don't want to, I want to. Because God loved me. And man, if he could love me, then I can love that person. That's what perfect love and love as it's being perfected does. In perfect love, there is no fear of punishment. And so, oh, well, I'm going to have a bad week if I don't do what God said. That's not the way it works. That's a fear of punishment. We love others because it's our desire to love others with the love of God, not to avoid punishment. Maybe that's where your mind has already gone. Well, I guess I'll love them so I don't have to get punished. That's also not perfect love. And so what that should tell you is, okay, if that's my thought, if that's where I'm at, I just need to sit in the love of God more. Because if you experience it more, it'll be far easier to communicate that love to others. So spend some time with him. That song we sang last week, The More I Seek You. And to me, there's no greater song for me to experience the love of God as I just think about sitting back and God wrapping his arms around me. And I'm just there. Like there's nothing required. There's nothing being done. I'm not doing anything for him. I don't, that's it. Just resting in the love of God. And when you sit in that, when you abide in his love, it changes things. It'll change the, the reason why you love. It'll change the difficulty that you have loving. The Holy Spirit will be able to love others through you because you truly know and ex- have experienced the love of God. And maybe you have, but man, it's been a long time since you've just rested in his love, since you just sat and didn't feel like you had to do anything to, to earn it. You didn't feel like you had to uh, apologize for not doing it because of fear of punishment or some other thing, but just sat in his love. Next verse. We love because he first loved us. That's why. That's why we love. If you're still wondering why you should love certain people, maybe there are people in your life that have come to mind as we've been reading this And you've thought, well, I don't have to love that person. It doesn't get more simple than this verse. And I've heard the lie out there, well, I've forgiven them, but I don't have to like them, I don't have to love them. And forgiveness requires that we love. It's pretty hard to actually genuinely forgive someone without feeling the love of God, especially if someone has hurt you significantly. then you need a touch from God. And when you experience his love for that person, it makes it so much easier to forgive them and say, man, you didn't know what you were doing any more than I knew what I was doing when I was sinning. And so I forgive you. I release that. We love those who are impossible to love because he first loved us. And let's be honest, we were impossible to love. And he made it happen anyhow. And I don't know if you've ever been hit with one of those moments where you just felt the weight of your sin before you knew him. And you just knew what it cost him to love you. Man, that makes it a lot easier to love other people when we just remember what it cost him to love us. Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And if we can't love people we can see, people we can touch right in front of us. John's saying we cannot love God. We just can't. Trust me, you're not going to win the argument with God on this one. Well, they did this or they did that. And God will remind us of all that we were guilty of when we ask for his forgiveness maybe he'll remind us of all the reasons that he had to not love us and yet he chose love if we hate someone for any reason we cannot be a christian that's a tough message but it's straight from the word of god we cannot hate someone and love jesus those two are mutually exclusive And so you got to choose which one you want. Do you you love that hate for that person more than you love Jesus? Because it's a line in the sand. God says, I'm sorry, you can't come on this side if you're going to hold on to that hate. You'll never be able to actually receive the love of God because you can't release that hate. And so some of us, maybe we have some work to do this week. Maybe there's some serious soul searching. And we need to sit before God and be honest and say, man, I, I feel like I know you as my Savior, but boy, I hate this person for what they did i hate them and ask god to help us figure that out as we rest and sit before him verse 21 and this commandment we have from him whoever loves god must also love his brother well wait didn't he just say that in the last verse pretty sure he just said that no for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love god and if anyone says i love god and hates his brother he's a liar So what God is saying here is it's not just about not hating them. It's about going beyond that and loving them. That's why I think that lie that's out there is you don't have to like them but you have to forgive them. That's saying you don't have to you have to not hate them but you don't have to love them. It's not the way it works. It's not the commandment that we're given. This is a commandment and this commandment we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's not good enough for you to try to let yourself off the hook and say, well, I don't hate them, but I don't love them. All right, well, then you're not being obedient to God because just not hating them is not enough. And most likely you still hate them because you're not able to love them. If you're not able to love somebody, it's because you hate them. Because if you met a stranger who was in need and you had no history, no baggage, nothing going on, would you find it that difficult to love them? No you wouldn't have any baggage. So if you're not able to love somebody, there's a reason, and it's because you still hate them. That's what the Bible's telling us. We need, we must love others if we know God. Just in case we thought we could get away with it, with claiming that we don't hate somebody, he finishes with that commandment. If we love God, we must love others. So what can we take away from what we learned here today? It's one thing to learn about it. It's another thing to put it into practice. First, first, one of the questions I want us to leave with this morning is who comes to mind when we talk about people that we don't want to love? Who does God bring to your mind? I have people in my mind right now. Just because I'm up here doesn't mean I haven't been wrestling with this myself. Who have we been making excuses to treat in a way which denies the gospel? Who is your excuse person? That you say, okay, I get it, but you don't know what they did. You haven't met them, Pastor. This, this isn't my message. I don't have to meet them. I don't have to know them. I don't need context. God knew. Before he wrote this word, he knew what that person would do to you. And he still wrote it, so it still applies to them. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, this just kills every argument I could possibly have. While we were still his enemies, he died for me. He loved me. Not because I could do something for him, not because one day I would accept the role of pastor. Man, this this, this doesn't make him love me anymore. If God could love us when we hated him, lived in opposition to him, and wanted nothing to do with him. We can love those who are difficult to love. So, given that, who do you need to repent to and love this week? So if you want to know, okay, what do I do with this? There it is. Who do you need to repent to and love this week? Now, here's the thing. That person that you need to repent to, you might know beyond a shadow of a doubt they're going to laugh in your face and spit in your face. Does that change what you're called to do? It's not their fruit you're responsible for. It's your fruit. Are you going to abide in love? And if the Lord leads you to that to say, I just need to repent to you, you never know. It could be one of those moments that they, for the first time, experience the love of God. That may be the first time the unconditional love of God touches them. And I promise you, it will not return void. That kind of love, they might laugh at you, they might spit at you, but I guarantee you there will be a moment where they say, man, what was that? I don't know what God will do with that, but that doesn't matter. You're not in charge of them. You're only responsible for you, your actions, and who you abide in. So who do you need to repent to in love this week? And what are you going to do about it? because that to me is the biggest question with any sermon that I've ever preached, what are you gonna do about it? What is gonna change about your life, about your week? Because you know that God is calling you to love. Let's pray. Lord, this is a tough message. There's so much positivity in this. When I first read 1 John chapter four, there seems to be so much positivity in the love, but the reality is that so many Christians Don't live up to this. Though we have experienced your unconditional love, God, we fail in relaying that love to others. God, I am confident there are people in this room who you have put people on their heart that they need to repent to this week. And there is no more difficult task than repenting for something like this. Repenting for hatred in our heart Holy Spirit, they're going to need you. Holy Spirit, there are people, myself included, who are going to need you this week. We're going to need to lean into you in a heavy, heavy way. But it'll be glorious as we allow you to work through us. Lives will be changed if we learn to live through your power. God, I pray that you would remove all hate from the hearts of every person in this room through the love of your son, through the Holy Spirit's power, you would remove the hate, the bitterness, the anger, and you would replace it with the unconditional love that you loved us with. What a change it would make to those around us and to our community. Lord, would you bless us with the boldness, with the humility to take the steps that are necessary for us this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.